Today's episode of the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. The relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and L.A., and they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh, hot meals to hospitals and clinics, fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants and business as well. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us, and you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Please go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate. We're trying to raise 250000 and if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com slash WCK. It's the Ringer NFL show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark, joined on the other line by the Lennon and McCartney of, <laughs> of football data science. It's Eric Eager and George Shahuri. How are you doing, guys? That was the kindest thing anyone said to me this year. Yeah, I, doing well. <laughs> uh, uh, it's fun to, you know, we've done so many podcasts together that it, uh, that we've been trying to, you know, have guests. And it's, it's great to be a guest on one so we can add another uh, great voice to our discussions. So here's what we're doing today. We're just going to do who's good. And the reason we're doing that is because the draft was last week. We understand in general, mostly what the rosters look like. I think with the exception of Cam Newton and Andy Dalton, there aren't a lot of X factors out there right now. We know what these rosters look like. There's a couple of positional battles. Everyone, I think, especially kind of middling teams or, or bad teams, they've got these fantasies about upgrading their team in June, July, August. I remember a couple of years ago, I, I had said something about the Seahawks in May, and everyone, everyone said, no, 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 they're going to get an extra cornerback. And, and Listen, these teams are never going to get extra cornerbacks. These teams are never going to get extra linebackers. With the exception, again, of the two outstanding quarterbacks, this is kind of what the, the, this team looks like. And uh, I wanted to bring you guys in because I obviously value you guys' perspective on teams. But I want to first unpack the discussion we were having before we started recording, which is the just sheer... I'm not even sure what you'd call it, brilliance of watching a game and even maybe betting on a game if you don't know the outcome in quarantine. Because I, the other day I was watching the tennis channel, which I don't even like tennis. And with the exception of the 08, I guess, Wimbledon final with Nadal and, and Federer, which I don't even remember that much about, I haven't watched a tennis thing in years. And so I thought, well, maybe I could just like get really into tennis and live a sport for the first time. And then I realized I didn't like tennis at all. Tennis is beyond... like. I enjoy I'd enjoy playing tennis. So maybe yeah, that's where I that's where I could maybe make some headway is I would just become I'd be like, you know how Jordan bet on golf every day of his life basically? Yeah. That might become me. I wouldn't be able to watch the tennis, but I'd go play it and lose all my money that way. Um, maybe soccer. Maybe soccer soccer is a great one. I, I know too much about the results of soccer. Eric, you were watching a USFL game the other day, right? Yeah, I mean I'm I'm one that, you know. I've been like dabbling a little bit in like these Madden Sims, which again is like okay. at least that, like the that's outcome. Not, yeah, <laughs> we that said doesn't we were really going talk to about that. But I've been yeah, I've been um, watching old football games, and usually I'll only go back to like when I was born, like '86. But I kind of got a little interested in because the XFL folded the USFL, and and, uh, <laughs> and it was really funny because you you hear all these names like Steve Young played, Herschel Walker played. And yet I had no clue what was going to happen. And I was, I'm not going to say I was on the edge of my seat, but I was somewhat uh, interested in the outcome, you know, once it became the fourth quarter. 
I was thinking about this. Like, what about like live cooking shows? <laughs> I, I love food. Just so try, I trying kinda, to bet, trying to bet the live cooking yeah, show. I don't know. That might because you get tired of watching old games after a while. You need some live content. I don't know. This is That's week five of right isolation. Now. Yeah, this is week five of isolation. All right, we're going to get to what we're we're here to do. Uh, not that, not that George coming up with betting on live cooking shows isn't what we're here to do. Um, but I just want to go through the divisions to figure out who's good and who we should expect to be talking about in September. And I think it's a weird time for everybody because uh, the the off season is basically canceled. I think that we can't really put uh, a any sort of weight because we don't know on what it looks like if Mike McCarthy can't ever see his people, his new team in person and, and quote unquote establish a culture or all that. I think that there's a lot of outstanding questions about that. In 2011, obviously this happened. The entire offseason canceled. You, you could go out and organize, you know, the, the Jets. Mark Sanchez had basically a Jets practice out in California uh, during the lockout because he couldn't have any communication with the team, but they were able to at least be together. You could travel the country, so it was a little bit different, but it was it was the most analogous to this. And essentially what happened in 11 was the Patriots were good, the Giants were good, a lot of teams, the Saints were good, a lot of teams that are normally good were pretty good. Um, and, and I kind of have shaded some of my viewpoints as far as that goes with um, with what's going to happen this year. I'm just so glad we don't have to talk about the Packers. Uh, you know, that <laughs> if we're only going to talk about teams that are good. If we're only going to talk about the good teams. That yeah, is, who's I'm good just episode, grateful. Thank you. George does not have to talk about the Green Bay Packers. But that maybe I, I, I think, unfortunately, we're going to have to break down the Packers and, and, and what their 2020 looks like because they did make the NFC Championship game last year. They, <laughs> They're they the favorite still. They are included in the Who's Good episode, even if you don't want to talk about that. All right, let's start with the NFC East. Very, very weird division. Um, the Eagles won it by default last year. Um, almost kind of like an old school college football, like that, you know, some team got eight wins and all of a sudden they're playing in the Fiesta Bowl kind of situation. They send their fan base into the pit of despair uh, by taking Jalen Hurts, which I think is actually a defensible pick. The Cowboys get better with CeeDee Lamb. They have a coach who's not Jason Garrett. The Giants and the Redskins are the Giants and the Redskins. We'll start with you, Eric. Who's good in the NFC East? Yeah, I think I think those two teams at the top, right? I mean, both of Philadelphia and Dallas, I think, you know, were poor teams a season ago, but for different reasons. I think Philadelphia was unlucky because of injuries. They're playing AAF players at wide receiver. Uh, they haven't quite you know, figured out coverage. And I don't know if that's, you know, ever going to get all that better, although they got Kayvon Wallace in the draft. Um, and, and so they got unlucky in that way. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys, like, outscored their opponents by, like, more than 100 points a season ago. Uh, you know, they had bad kicking, that you know, drops everywhere. They got unlucky, you know, in, in these, like, sort of more granular ways. But I think both teams going into, you know, 2020 are going to be seen as good teams. It's just whether or not, you know, one of them or both of them can put it all together, which is, Seemingly, you know, something that avoids every, you know, both of these teams, at least the last two years. But th- that would be a step up. Right? Like last year, I don't know if either of them were good. So the the nice thing about it they is They seemed that, good. The problem right. was they seemed good the whole year. Yeah. And you looked at those teams and you said, these are good teams. And there turned out to be no evidence for that. No evidence ever developed for it. But it's they seemed better than they were. You you brought this up, right? So the, the fact that we were going to have a shortened offseason which form of luck is more likely to be less impacted by that? Because like the Eagles are hoping that they don't have a receiving core that completely disappears. The Cowboys are hoping that 
Mike McCarthy makes smarter decisions on fourth down and doesn't throw an out to Ezekiel Elliott on a crucial, you know, fourth and five. Like, which one? I don't know which one of those is necessarily easier. I, I would say it's like which one is gooder is Dak McCarthy versus Wentz Peterson because you've got to boil it down somehow. But I'm still torn. I mean, when you look at when you look at Dallas, though, I mean, there there were you know traces of being a good team. They were you know top ten in yards per play, both offensively and defensively, and tops in offense. Uh, you know, Dak Prescott was the second most valuable player in the NFL going into the playoffs. Like, there's a lot of good there. And what I like about what McCarthy did the other day in the draft, whether by hook or by crook, you know, his offenses in Green Bay got progressively worse as the receiving cores got chipped away at, right? They went from having being three, four deep for years and having a decent tight end to having only Devontae Adams. You know, now he's going to have Gallup, he's going to have Cooper, uh, and he's going to have Lamb uh, with a pretty good offensive line. And obviously, you know, it, it, you know, running back that they don't have to feed carries to anymore. Like, I think to me, that's why they're favored, uh, you know, in the betting markets. And that's why I, I would firmly put them in the good category in the NFC. Eric, are you, are you picking them to win the division? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it just um, sounds like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, George, I do you agree with that? I wake up every day thinking something differently about this division because I, the Eagles draft to me. I just was, love that we're, we all wake up thinking just completely insane things during this quarantine and you think different <laughs> things about the NFC East when you wake up. And, and, and you're never sure which day is which. So that, that adds <laughs> to the thing. Um, the Eagles draft to me was maybe a tick below the Cowboys, but what they did really strengthened their team quite a bit. I wouldn't underscore, I would underscore that I think Jalen Hurts helps them. Like he, I agree. The ceiling on that pick is so much higher than we think. And, and even in one, in a one year sample, I mean, if you have to take Wentz out for three games, but then you bring a guy in that teams actually fear like that, that is a huge, huge asset, but the Cowboys are just more talented right? Like they just still have more talent. I believe that they're the better passing offense. The kicker for me is this, Kellen Moore and I think Mike McCarthy will be on the same page with throwing the ball on early downs. And that's the one bugaboo for the Eagles, right? They they run a ton on second and long. It's like my pet peeve. So I, I would have to lean with the Cowboys, I think. When we went back to their Super Bowl season, I mean, you and I were praised. It was like our first year doing a podcast. We praised Doug Peterson through and through and through. And we go back and watch that season, and it was littered with first and second down runs. And then, uh, you know, Wentz bailing them out on third down with an outrageous season full of third and long conversions. And we've seen that that hasn't been sustainable over the past two seasons. It is. They are a smart organization. I think Dallas is underrated in terms of how smart they are. Philly's a smart organization. That's the one thing that I can't understand uh, about Peterson, you know, and, and them is just, you know, they, they're just inefficient offensively, I think, by choice in some cases. I am so, I understand the, the carryover from Kellen Moore and the fact there's going to be continuity that way. Um I don't know what's going to happen with Dak Prescott's contract or whether or not this this weird offseason impacts that. And listen, I, I kind of think we glossed over this. Adam Schefter said on his podcast that if if the the ramifications of of the pandemic are what they could be, which is empty stadiums the entire season, the salary cap could go down like 60, 70, 80 million dollars over the course of a year. And I, at some point, that has to start weighing on contract negotiations. I mean, it's a completely different episode of this show. I'm just saying. Things might kind of get ugly with with guys who are negotiating contracts. Do they bail out teams though? Like I in that know. sense, 
Uh, now this is definitely know. a different yeah. topic. Yeah. Do they? Do, uh, no. I mean, it's a great question. Do teams get salary cap bailouts if yeah, revenue plunges? You'd have everyone just be totally screwed. Like even the lowest yeah. spending teams, right? It's it, the bills are finally come due for the New Orleans Saints <laughs> after all these years. <laughs> finally. No, I, it's a great question. I mean, there would have to be some allowances, or else you'd just have to cut anybody who wasn't a quarterback or a veteran player. There would have to be complete overhaul yeah. of 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 how teams spend money and how team, how the NFL allows teams to spend money. You'd almost have to go on cap for a little bit. You'd almost have to have a, a holiday, right. Of, you know, yeah. certain, certain, uh, you know, basically you'd, you'd be able to push contracts and things like that further into the future. Um, you know, for a few years. Yeah. Anyway, this is me hiding the fact that I'm going to pick the Eagles to win the NFC East. All right. Um, but I think both these teams are, are definitely in the good category. Let's is do, this, let's, this is the closest division. Uh, are you uh, sure? I think there's a lot of close divisions. I think the problem is is that I have Eagles, one that I think is maybe closer, but I think Vegas disagrees with me slightly. I think the problem, from my perspective, is that the Eagles and the Cowboys are basically the same genre of team, and that's why it seems so close. Which is just yeah. like team with a lot of talent that never popped last year. Yes, I think uh, yeah, there are. I, I think there are probably what four or five divisions here where. You know, if you were to handicap them to win the the division, they're all under a hundred. You know, all under two hundred, right? And, and there are some where it's pretty, you know, it's pretty evenly dispersed. And the NFC East is one of them, but not the only one. To quote Brett Musburger, I'm looking live at odds somewhere on the <laughs> internet, and this is the only division where uh, the, the one of two divisions where the two favorites have the same odds. Hmm, you were yeah. right. Uh, there are two divisions that, that are close. All right, let's. Uh, I don't want to do the conferences, so so let's switch over and just do it by geography. AFC East. This is tricky. The New England Patriots have won it every single year since Matt Castle was their quarterback and briefly interrupted things. Um, they are changing. We don't know. We're talking about quarterback X factors. This is one of those places where we don't know if Jared Stidham and Brian Hoyer are going to be the starter, or they go out and add Andy Dalton, or they go with another mid-level veteran somewhere else, like a Derek Carr, if he becomes available, something like that, or they swing a trade to get somebody bigger. We'll start with you, George. I have to believe that the, the New England Patriots are going to be good by AFC East standards. And that is... It goes against every sensibility that I have because they could have the worst quarterback in the division. Um, they probably have the least talented offense. Um, but don't you? I get the sense that Bill Belichick is just running circles around, you know, most of the coaches in the NFL, but certainly the ones in this division. I love Sean McDermott, but um, I think they will be good enough. I think the Bills are interesting because. Eric and I are having this conversation. Their roster, it, if you weigh all positions evenly, it's probably a top five roster or close. And then the Dolphins could have the best quarterback in the division, whether they're playing Ryan Fitzpatrick or Tua. Like either one of those guys is legitimately could lay claim to being the best quarterback in the division. And I always want to go with the best quarterback. So I think this is actually a, a three horse race, to be perfectly honest with you, because I don't know if any team has is good enough that you can look overlook the glaring weakness they have. I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth here a little bit, but I think you're, What's I think new? you're underestimating it's very the, much welcome on this podcast. Yeah. I think you're <laughs> underestimating the jets, George. And, and here's why oh. when you, well, I, I'm almost never going to say, 
So, so you look at the you know the top five teams last season in yards per play allowed were San Francisco, no no surprise, Pittsburgh, no surprise, New England, no surprise, Bills fourth, Jets fifth. Now, I said before I overlooked a little bit about what it would mean for the Cowboys to integrate new things into the sort of like the pandemic infrastructure here. But when you look at Miami, Miami was the had a collection of the least amount of wins above replacement on any defense in the NFL last season, any roster. And we know they've made a lot of good moves, but this might be a situation where those those benefits are delayed maybe a season or a half a season uh, because of this. Um, and then Buffalo and New England are interesting because I think they're both teams that have decent rosters everywhere but quarterback. And, and so when you look at the Jets, Dar- Sam Darnold is the former third overall pick. Adam Gaze has done, you know, he he has a very, very mixed uh, track record in terms of, you know, getting teams to respectability, but he can get them in that seven win range. I mean, he did last season, and I think that the division's won by an eight or nine win team. So <laughs> I, if I'm going to look here at like sort of a dark horse, I think the Jets are very much live uh, in, in this division race, which is is probably I think against conventional wisdom, but something I think that is certainly plausible for them. My my issue is they have almost no weapons to throw to uh, for Darnold. <laughs> George, where are you on the Jets? <sighs> okay, so quarterbacks with below a sixty five PFF passing grade last year: Sam Darnold, Mitch Trubisky, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Jacoby Brissett, Case Keenum, Mason Rudolph, Kyle Allen. It's not illustrious. Uh, <laughs> And may, may I ask, I, as someone who doesn't study PFF yeah. grades, is there a path forward for those? Like, if you look back four or five years ago, are there guys where there's just huge, huge improvement in that regard? Or is it pretty consistent? It, it depends on your grading profile, right? So you don't generally see guys who make a high level of what we call negatively graded plays. And you can think of that as like an uncatchable pass, you know, to an open receiver. If you do that a lot, you, we generally don't see that improve. That's a pretty sticky thing from season to season. Where, where you can make headway is in areas that are more um, unstable. Like I can increase the rate at which I make really good throws if my scheme allows me to. So I, I think there is possibility there given you have the accuracy. I think Darnold maybe does. And that's why I can kind of get on board with what Eric's saying. But to me, if you look at the Dolphins and the Jets, the Dolphins made themselves dramatically better this offseason. Byron Jones is fantastic. I, I, the fact that they went and, and got a guy like him says to me that they're not messing around. Um, and I really like Brian Flores quite a bit more than than Gase. So I'm not buying him that much. I, I, I'm a huge Flores fan. I'm, I actually like the job that Chris Greer has done. I like the process. I know there's some questions whether or not the Dolphins reached on a couple of their their high picks, but I think that I like the process the Dolphins are doing. I just don't think listen, they made they played more players than any team in the history of football last year. They book took the biggest dead cap charge in history. They made more transactions. And I think I think they made 130 more transactions than any team <laughs> in the league last year. And seriously. And I think that when I see that kind of teardown, it just doesn't track for me that they could be anything more than a year away. I think that they eventually will be very good. I just have a hard time believing, especially in a year like this year, um, that they can get that good that quickly. I remember last year, one of their linebackers told me that he, he calls the plays on the field and he looked over and he did not know the name of the person he was next to in the middle (laughs) of the game. And it was like, that that's the kind of, 
to go from that to they're in the contention is tough for me. Again, I think they're going to be very good, but I just, you know, I, they're, they're, it takes a while to, in, my, in my head to build an NFL team. Splitting the Bills and the Pats, like what is the decider for you? So I was actually on a text thread about this this morning with some folks and we were talking about it and some about Dalton in, in, in particular. And I think that a Bill Belichick defense with competent quarterback play wins this division they were historically good through about 10 weeks some of that was scheduled but you know a lot of that was the fact that there just weren't you know there was some, some bad teams and they were able to take advantage of that and that's that's how you win football you can accidentally win 10 games fairly easily if, you, if you're competent i think that i i am so worried about them going into the season with stidham and hoyer um and just the x factor of that having said that i, I love the buffalo bills i think brandon bean's essentially a teardown. When we talk about the Dolphins taking a huge cap hit, I mean, the Bills took a massive one a couple of years ago to get rid of some of those Doug Whaley contracts. That Brandon Bean rebuild job was awesome. So I love that team. I think they're they're a definite playoff contender, but I, I'm, I cannot pick against the competence of Bill Belichick until that's proven otherwise. If he gets... So say they figure out a way to bring Dalton in, and, and we get, you know, for, those, for people that are listening that don't follow us, one of the kind of bug the things that we deal with a lot is Josh Allen does not grade well for us. He's not a very accurate quarterback and, and that we ding that in our system as I think we should, right? Um, to give you some context here, there was no quarterback in the NFL that made a higher rate of what we deemed uncatchable throws last season. Josh Allen was 35 out of 35 for us. So um, if they get Andy Dalton or even if Stidham slash Hoyer, probably not Hoyer, but let's say Stidham is you know, way better than we anticipate for some unknown reason. That gives Bill Belichick potentially a leg up in the passing game, at least yeah. from a quarterback perspective. And that to me is a huge, like you give Bill Belichick that, it, you don't want to bet against him. I, I just think, you know, if we're going, if we're going to go with, you know, the projections on Allen, I just have, a, and I agree with you, Kevin, I think the Bills are one of the most impressive teams in the NFL uh, I think they took a chance on a quarterback with a really high ceiling, and I'm not ever going to, you know, fault them for that. But if if Allen isn't who he is supposed to be, that transition is going to be pretty awkward to do midseason and still win a division, especially with a quarterback who's probably going to be new, whether whether it be Fromm or or Dalton. And so, like I, I have a that's my that's my reservation about the Bills is I just think it's going to be an awkward season for them, like. I can see it kind of being like Chicago this past year, where they're not wow. terrible. They'll win some games. There'll be some hope uh, every so often, but it ultimately just not be good enough. And that's where I see the door opening. New England, obviously, but also for a team like the Jets and maybe the Dolphins if everything comes together. Please send your Josh Allen slander complaints to Pro Football Focus, not the ringer. <laughs> we're, that's that's, that's the, the key takeaway. I, listen, I think that, again, they have an incredibly talented roster in Buffalo. I think that Josh Allen is not where he needs to be, but I, I did. I mean, listen, he did get better last year. He did get better. Mm -hmm. um, whether that's enough is is very much remains to be seen. You know, Robert Mays went up there and talked to him last year, and he basically said that a lot of the, I guess you'd say, fundamentals of quarterbacking, he never he never got from a young age. And this is a league where a lot of these guys from Texas or from Florida or from California, and they're throwing year, year round seven on sevens, kind of 10,000 hour theory. And Josh Allen didn't have that. Uh, I think that 
whether or not you can learn that in year three of football is or year three of professional football is is another story. But I do think that, that, that there were steps last year to where I don't think he's he's a total wash. Um, all right, pick pick the division, guys. Uh, I will go Patriots. Yeah, I'm same. Me too. How boring. Yeah. All right. Jets Jets plus seven fifty <laughs> is not a terrible bet though. <laughs> NFC North. Again, another they're all strange divisions, except like the AFC North and the AFC West, right? Like they're all strange divisions. So big picture, Eric, start with you, a- NFC North. Yeah, this one's interesting because I think everybody's going to be down on Green Bay, and I think understandably so, given the direction they're in. Um, and you know, uh, and also when you look at their point differential, you look at basically every metric a season ago, they were not a 13-win team. Um but when I look at the composition of this division, Minnesota got a lot better last week, but th- it's going to be very difficult. And they're going to have to hit a royal flush, basically, to have all those players work out and and be like, you know, a contender for that division come September. I think people are overweighing, you know, the, the probability that they're going to be good uh, based upon the draft that they had, which was, you know, understandably good. I think Chicago's in a difficult situation. Detroit's gotten better, but I'm always a little bit hesitant about Matt Patricia. So even though they had a terrible draft, I think Green Bay should be the favorite to win this division again uh, in 2020. I'm, I thought you were going to steal my, my point, so I'm glad that you didn't. I wrote down, you know, I looked at the division odds this morning. I wrote them down, and I look at them. And Green Bay's the favorite, and the Lions are seven to one. And I go, are we sure the Packers are for sure better than the Lions? Like, are we? Are you that? How confident are you? Because the the Lions last year were bad for the majority of the year, but when they were intact, they were good. Through Week Five last year, they were fifth in expected points added per pass play. Like Matt Stafford was throwing the ball downfield. They were leveraging play action at a high rate. They were putting the ball up to both of those receivers that could go get it. And they should have beat the Kansas City Chiefs um, had it not been for basically they were walking into the end zone of the one-yard line and a fumble six the other way. Um, So to me, this division is totally wide open with the exception of the Bears, to me, are the team that I have the least confidence in um, because of the quarterback position. and I think the Packers, the Packers, the Vikings, and the Lions all have really big, really serious questions. Like the Packers, it's structural, right? Like, you know, that seems volatile, clearly, if you listen to Brett Favre. The Vikings have two receivers um, and are, are going to, you know, without Kevin Stefanski. And then the Lions are trying to put things back together and convince themselves they're good probably more than than we're trying to convince themselves are good. So I think there's a legitimate three-horse race in this division. So I think that the Lions probably have a lot of talent. I think that I'm, I'm as big a Matthew Stafford fan as anybody. Some of their weird results earlier in the season, like the, the, the Cardinals game was just a debacle. Um, and then obviously Stafford's injury got them off track a little bit, but I think there's talent there. I do not believe in Matt Patricia as a coach. I just don't think he's very good, and I, I can't put any chips on 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 Matt Patricia ever. Do, do you believe um, in LaFleur though? Well, I kind of do because I've seen it. I mean, like I I I understand that some of that was smoke and mirrors last year, but I think that he I, I think that the defense performed well enough, which I obviously Mike Petton is in charge of that. I think that um I think the philosophy he has is going to 
make things a little bit awkward because he clearly wants to go full 49ers. Um, and that takes a while. I mean, it's really hard to retool the philosophy of a team when you have a quarterback under contract for three more years at, you know, a $30 million plus cap hit. Uh, I think that drafting, you know, a running back that high, uh, when you had so many other offensive needs was, was a debacle. Um, I, I quite frankly, I'm not a huge fan of the Jordan Love pick. I just think that that was, I think that in a vacuum, it's a good pick, but I think that if you're talking about the 2020 season, it's a bad pick, obviously. And so I think that if you're doing, and I wrote a column this week talking about Billy Bean, the the A's general manager, he just talked about Arsene Wenger and he said that Arsene Wenger managed the team like he, he, he was going to run it for a hundred years. And taking Jordan Love in the first round is a, I'm running this team for a hundred years kind of thing. And in football, there some of that is necessary, but for 2020, I'm not sure that was the pick. Um, so the, the long, long the, that's a long way of saying I kind of believe in Matt Lafleur. The the Packers were 21st in yards per pass play last year. Like I, their record, it, I I don't have another word for it. It was it was fraudulent. Like they they did not I did not they did not get better offensively in the passing game with Lafleur. Versus McCarthy, it may have looked different because the score was better, but they didn't get that. They didn't get better, and if they did, it was very marginal. And now they're making a huge change that maybe Rodgers isn't on board with. Well, but I, I do want to push back just a little bit in the sense that what they really leveraged a season ago was a mediocre division, which is which right. I think for with respect to 2020 has only gotten worse, right? Right. The quarterback is probably going to have a good season just by virtue of the fact that he's one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game, and there's some motivation there. I think long I think long term, this team's going in the wrong direction unequivocally. I didn't like the Jordan Love pick fundamentally. I didn't like trading up for him. None of that stuff. Uh, and he ended up being their best draft pick. But the but in this current climate where continuity is probably important and high-end sort of like fragile things like Aaron Rodgers, I think are more important maybe than anti-fragile things like, you know, Minnesota's defensive play caller and all that kind of stuff. If, if we're going to be consistent with teams, we think can, if I'm going to be consistent with teams, we think can take advantage of, of a season with no off season. I think the Vikings falls in the Vikings fall into that. I think that there's a lot, they know what they are. Um, there are, it's, it's veterans in a lot of different places. I think the digs trade, Takes a little bit away from that, but I think that they they drafted enough. I, I what I'm intrigued by Mallory Rubin and I talked about this in the podcast last week. What I what I'm intrigued by is the general trend, and we saw this with five, six, seven teams who traded away pricey veterans and drafted a guy as their one to one replacement. And the Vikings didn't necessarily try to do that 100, percent but but obviously they got receiver help uh, early in the draft. And I think that their ability to to replicate that on offense is going to be really big, but I think that the Vikings are going to be pretty good this year. They, but they have so many rookies. Yeah, my concern with Minnesota is they all three of their starting corners, now granted Xavier Rhodes stunk last year, but all three of their starting corners are gone. Uh, Everson Griffin, their second best defensive lineman, has gone. Uh, Limbaugh Joseph, their nose guard, they let him go. They might bring him back. But like defensively, I agree with you that Zimmer being there, and Zimmer's one of the greater defensive minds in football, do they have the horses, though, to play defense? Uh, you know, like they have historically. I my, I really question that despite, like I said, I think Dantzler's a good pick and I think Gladney's a good pick. It's just whether they can acclimate to the NFL. Right. So part of the reason I like their draft class, the reason they took 15, 
15 picks was because they knew that free agency was going to be such a debacle, undrafted free agency was such a debacle that they wanted those guys later in the draft, which I think if you're thinking about how to get value, that's a really good way to do it. I mean, you, you can, it's really easy to get late round picks. You can get it easily. Um, I, I still believe in their talent. Like I still believe in, in the spine and Harrison Smith and the linebackers to Hunter. Uh, again, Mike Zimmer being one of the defensive geniuses of our era on offense. I, I still think Kirk Cousins is pretty good. I understand you guys will dismiss Dalvin Cook out of hand, but he is. <laughs> I, I do think fairly talented. Uh, yeah. Adam Thielen. Like I, I, I like the pieces for them to be a pretty good team. Okay. The final thing I'll say on this is, so you mentioned coaches, like the, the continuity of the coach and, and being able to carry a team through the offseason. Are we dismissing the impact of the quarterback there? Because to me, the quarterback might, depending on the team, be the person in charge of keeping guys together and on the same page in the offseason. And if that's the case, give me Matt Stafford. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about Kirk Cousins. This is like the nth, this is like the fifth straight year that he's had a different like, offensive like, coordinator. Let's say we're let's say the whole team, the whole offense is in a text chain. Okay. And that's your like main form of communication or a Zoom call or whatever. Kirk Cousins is like, hey guys, let's do a little Zoom happy hour at, at 5 p.m. today. How many responses is he getting? Matt Stafford says that he's got everybody on the team. Yeah, he sent them all beers. Him. If we're thinking of ways to take advantage of this, I'm not sure looking at the quarterback isn't important. Um, but then, but then, how does that fall with Rodgers though? Because, like, if he if he calls his own family, they're not picking up. <laughs> the the problem for the tough thing for Rodgers, and this is why it's going to be so hard to implement this Niners scheme, is they are built totally differently. Like he's got a bunch of slow, big receivers. Like when he sends that text out, it's just going to Devontae Adams and David Bakhtiari. Like it's not a it's not a full team group text. Corey um, um yeah, no, it, I I I think that you guys need to develop a, a a way to measure how many guys are in the Zoom happy hour. I feel like that's the next project for PFF. That <laughs> that would be fantastic. Is that like grit? It is, it is like grit. All right, uh Eric, pick the division. Uh I'm still gonna go Green Bay, despite uh despite everything. So social grit. Just because I, I have to be, I got to pick one long shot. This is the long shot I like the most. So I'm going to go with the Lions. Wow. I'm going to go Vikings here. I'm getting seven to one odds. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I wanted to tell you about a new podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network that we are launching this week. It's called TV Concierge. It's only available on Spotify. These are 12 to 15 minute mini podcasts that review the latest TV shows streaming on Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, HBO, Showtime, FX, Apple TV, wherever else. We'll preview new shows that are launching. We'll break down the biggest shows that just launched. We'll review the biggest binge watch seasons that drop as they happen. It's our new TV concierge podcast from the Ringer Podcast Network. Think of it like a little bit of a playlist. Pick and choose the ones you want to listen to. It's available only on Spotify. All right, this one was probably pretty easy. Uh, we don't have to spend that much time on it. AFC North, George. You know, I, I am, are, are we sure about the Ravens? And uh, I mean, are we sure about the Ravens in the sense that are we sure they're going to win this division 68% of the time? Are we sure they're dominant? And I'll give you a couple of reasons why. Lamar Jackson was phenomenal. And, and we just had a conversation earlier today. Would you rather have Lamar Jackson or Deshaun Watson? It's like one of the hardest questions I've ever had to answer. But he was the highest graded quarterback under pressure last year. 
that is something that is very volatile from season to season. We'll probably regress. And they ran only 94 plays in the first half where they were losing. The next closest team was 137. Like they, those are some things that if they don't quite go that way, I'm not sure how much we know uh, about the Ravens. So the Ravens are certainly good. I don't know that they're dominant good. Um, and I, I honestly don't know if any other team in the division is good. Um, if I had to take one that I think ends up being good, though, uh, I do like the Browns' chances to end up being good. I, I just think with Stefanski there, that is such a 180 from Freddie Kitchens. Like, he'll actually run play action out of heavy personnel a couple times. And that was something that Baker Mayfield did really well. He might actually get him and Odell on the same page. So that would be the team that I think could creep into good. I mean, I think this is sneakily one of the best divisions in football, given, you know, what the I, Bengals I, did. I agree to with be, that. It became, you know, one of the, like, they, they took steps to being more anti-fragile, getting, you know, three defensive backs in free agency, getting linebackers in the draft, uh, shore up the offensive line a little bit with Jonah Williams, and then uh, T. Higgins, A.J. Green. I mean, that's a that that has the makings of a pretty good fourth-place team, frankly, if you're looking at divisions. The Browns are a little bit better. Obviously, uh, you know, I think Stefanski will do wonders there. The Steelers with Big Ben. Big Ben was on the decline before he got hurt, in our opinion. So, uh, But at the same time, they had one of the best defenses in the NFL. I'm still going to go. I, I still think the Ravens are firmly the best team in this division, though, just because there's so much stability. I don't mean stability in the natural sense. I mean, like, when you have Brandon, you know, when you have guys like Brandon Carr as your, you know, fifth best corner, and he's, you know, and you have, you know, Marcus Peters as a playmaker, you you draft Geno Stone to go with Chuck Clark and Earl Tom, like, they just, and, and then Patrick Queen, a position they were actually poor at, you know, doing a great job there, they just, they're just few leaky things that can happen with the Ravens. And when you look at teams that are 14 and two, and you're looking at how could they get worse fundamentally, they probably will have a worse record, but worse fundamentally, you look for leaks. And as George said, I think the only leak with, with Baltimore is the quarterback position. But I think if any team is self-aware enough to address them, it's Baltimore. Yeah, I am. I am hugely impressed with what the Ravens have done. I, I, I understand. It it's almost reminds me a little bit. I think people overreact when they hear regression in some ways from Lamar. It is a little bit what happened with with Mahomes last year, which is everybody said, "Well, Mahomes' numbers will come down." Everybody freaked out, but that's just a, the the nature of what happens when you play at MVP level. Is that um, you know numbers come back down to earth? That's what they do. Mahomes' touchdown numbers went down last year, but they didn't make him a worse player. Um, just made his numbers go down a little bit. And then they won the Super Bowl and everything was fine. Um, so I think I've been hugely impressed with the Ravens have done this offseason. Uh, Clays Campbell was a nice pickup for value. Their ability to turn fifth-round fifth picks into real meaningful players uh, is one of the best team-building jobs of the last um, – one of the last team-building moves of the last couple of years. Um, I think that they're going to win this division. Um, I think what's different about it this year is that there's, there's not going to be any easy outs – this year, I think even the Bengals helped themselves quite a bit in the draft and the way that they were building around, whether that's T. Higgins, whether that's um, Logan Wilson. I think that they have pieces now where they can start building, but they won't build uh, for 2020 and be, be successful. So the way I look at it, I think the Steelers are good and I think the Browns are good. I think that what we tend to do, and we've talked about this a lot on this podcast, we tend to be a year early on most of the hype teams. 
And there's a pretty reasonable explanation for why this happens. I remember everyone talking about the, the Niners two years ago um, and how they built that team and, and, and starting to hype them up. Obviously, Garoppolo's injury kind of precluded us from seeing what they would have looked like two years ago. But I always feel like you can kind of set your watch by which team was hyped and then the next year that they're pretty good. And the reason is because, you know, you you assemble the team quickly and maybe there's some things we overlooked. With the Browns last year, that was the offensive line. They go out and they solve that with someone like Jack Conklin. So I think that they have the capability to be good. I think there's three good teams in the division, as I said. But I think the Ravens are just, at this point, the second best run franchise in football and maybe the best run franchise in football. But the Chiefs just have Patrick Mahomes, so it's 1A and 1B. The, the Ravens aren't going to sneak up on anybody either, right? Like, that's the other part of this, I think, that should be noted is teams are going to spend their whole offseason. Now, what does that actually gain you if your offseason is remote? Maybe not a lot, but they're going to have a tougher road. I, I'm with you on the Ravens and the Browns. I, I'm not sold on the Steelers, though. Their defense was so good because of turnover differential, and that's something that is going to, you know, plummet back down to normality. Well, their, their defense was good. They won because of defense, because of turnover differential, though, right? That That's, that's I think, the distinction, isn't it? And it, so if they have even passable offensive play, don't you think that that's a, the makings of a de- at least a decent team? Their, their the defense AFC? was good. Take away the turnovers. I'm not buying that. Almost every – I mean, they were pretty good efficiency-wise. Like, I think – I agree that you – like, much like the Jets, you don't win with that kind of defense unless you get turnovers. Um, but it was a, a good defense. Yeah, I, I just don't think they're as uh, robust to uh, to change. I think there are going to be some, you know, they might have uh, some injuries. Like T.J. Watt's probably not going to be the highest grade edge defender again. Um, I'm not sold on Ben either at this age. Like, I don't know. But the Ravens win, yes. All right, yeah, we're all picking the Ravens. <laughs> all right, great. Absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, NFC South. This is a tough one because it's basically Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski coming to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers along with all they've, what they've built and whether or not that's good enough to be better than the Saints. We will start with you, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I guess, I guess I'm going to go back to this, this uh, quip, but you know, Tampa Bay is a team that I think people were really underrated about last year. You look at expected points added on defense you look at yards per play their defense was like a actually a pretty like tip-top group last year uh and you know Jameis kind of tanked their ability to win uh they go out and they get Antoine Winfield Jr. I like the complete and, and obviously Tristan Wirfs on offense I like the completeness of that team but banking on a quarterback as you know long in the tooth as Brady uh Gronk coming back to play tight end after a year off and you know losing a decent amount of weight um, I still, you know, I, I'm looking at New Orleans as the team. I think they're every bit as complete and there's a lot of continuity there. So I think that, you know, everybody's right that those two teams are the ones that should be vying for that division. But I think New Orleans, I think the gap between New Orleans and Tampa Bay is bigger, uh, than most. Any, any case for the Falcons here? That, well, that's what I was going to ask. I was going to say, like the team I'm curious about is, are the Falcons good? Uh, to me, this is maybe the one that I struggled with the most thinking about, divisions i was like i know the saints and the bucks are good now i'm not sure which one i have my doubts about the bucks i'm this to me is the litmus test for what happens during quarantine right like they they're all new is tom brady finding a way to organize you know tb12 sessions in his backyard over the summer i wouldn't put it past him um but you never know and we've seen quarterbacks in the first year under bruce arians granted not tom brady quarterbacks but 
set rec- set PFF records for turnover-worthy plays in a season. The, the three are tied at 40. We're all in their first season under Bruce Arians. I don't expect that to happen, but I would expect there to be a little bit of change for Brady. Um, the Falcons, to me, are fascinating because I liked what they did in the draft, but relative to what I think it could have been, right? It, they could have had CeeDee Lamb there. It gave me a little bit of pause. And they're just the Falcons, man. Like, like stuff just happens to this team. They have Julio Jones and Matt Ryan, who should be dominant in every phase of the game. And somehow, when it matters most, they don't. Like, it's not in the in the red zone. Like, when they're trying to score a touchdown, they're one of the worst duos in the NFL. And they're the best everywhere else. I don't get it. Dan Quinn seems to me like Wayne Fonts, except for he doesn't actually get his team to the playoffs, despite being rumored to be fired in the middle of every year. Has that... Has that like ever been successful? Has that reference ever been made? <sighs> um, That's amazing. It definitely ha- the, the Dan Quinn as Wayne Fonts has not been made. I can assure you that. Um, has it ever worked? You know, I, I, Ron Rivera. He, he had his. He had. He saved his job a couple of times with some late season surges, including that one year that uh, he made the playoffs late. I think with that the. The, 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 the seven, eight, and one the, year or whatever. Yeah, the, the year that led to the Cardinals, the, the Cardinals Panthers yeah. game that we're all trying to memory hole. Um, yeah, I, it's it's interesting. I wonder if I I wonder when we're talking about the short off seasons, whether or not there's this is kind of the Occam's razor NFL season, and that teams that have built-in advantages are going to be able to use them because it's going to be a much less complicated sport. And that maybe just having Matt Ryan and Julio Jones is 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 a great, great place to start and better than we think to the point that I think the Falcons might be better than we think. I am with the New Orleans Saints on this one. Um, I think that they win the division. I, I I am I almost I almost don't want to make any predictions with the Bucs, um, George, because it's exactly what you're saying. It's just a litmus test for what happens when you, Tom Brady, and I've said this a million times in this podcast, I mean, no one has more I worked out with Tom Brady for an hour and learned more about football and throwing than I ever have in my life. Uh, no, no one has more stories about those sort of things than Tom Brady. And if this were a normal year, he'd have these guys out at UCLA or USC or up in Montana, and he'd be working on chemistry and all that stuff, but it's not a normal year. And so what that means for 2020 is, is a complete crapshoot. So until they come out and are a juggernaut or whatever, um, I, I, it's hard to draw any conclusions about the Bucks. I think if I had to guess, they're probably a 10-win team, but I think the Saints are really, really good. Here's If I look into the crystal ball that I don't have, the, the Saints win this division because they can sustain success throughout the season. I would not be surprised if we, God willing, are sitting here at the end of the season and we go, okay, the Saints are winning and win the division, but the Bucks are the better team right now. And the reason I feel that way is I, I went through and I was just like, okay, who, who am I more confident in? Brady versus Breeze. Well, I actually think it's Brady because I've seen Breeze be great but not sustain it. And I thought Brady, there was no, it was a no-win situation for him last year. The wide receivers, I would take the Bucks wide receiving core. The defense, the Bucks have a really talented defense. The coach, I love both coaches. Obviously, there's continuity there. But talent-wise, the Bucs are, are better. So I could see by the end of the season us going, they're going to have to play on the road, but they're a better team. This it's is, an interesting this, point. Go ahead. This has, a, this has a classic markings of like, you know, if Tampa Bay goes 13-3 and three and everything clicks, we're all going to – I feel like we're all going to be like, where did we miss this one? 
And, and it's sort of like, it's like the Ravens being a trap last year. Like, how do we not see the Ravens putting this all together? And, and I do think that Tampa Bay has that upside. I just see so many more, you know, simulations where it's just like something bad happens and the bottom falls out in some sort of way, e- e- at least relative to the Saints. It's interesting when you talked about the, the Bucks getting better, because I think that one of the things that has shaped my view the last couple of years is, and I've told the story before, but a couple of years ago, I went on some rant about how a team's defense sucks. And this was like late September or something like that. And their GM called me and it's a guy I actually have a great relationship with now. And he said, the one thing you have to remember about modern defense is that because of the way teams practice, because of you're not really hitting in practice, you're not really hitting in training camp, you don't have two-a-days, that defenses actually have to get better over the course of a season if they're going to be good. And, and that they actually, to judge a defense in September, even October, is a little bit foolish and you'll you'll end up looking wrong. And I, I would also say that that's probably true of the elite defenses we see in September that peter out by December in, in a weird way. But what I will say is that the capability for teams to get better this year when there is no practice, when you're just learning on the fly, when guys maybe are getting in shape in October um, and just playing themselves into shape, I think that there's more capability for a team to get elite in December than there ever has been. I'm with you. And Brady's the guy that would get the team in a mental space to do that. Yep. I mean, Kansas City was a classic example of what you just said, right? They looked terrible in the first eight weeks of the year with a new defensive coordinator. They somewhat figure it out, and that's enough. Like, uh, I, yeah, I, I I get that, and I think I think Tampa was similar last year. Their defense was not good in the first half of the season, and they, you know, underneath all of our noses, you know, basically found their stride. So it'll be interesting to see if they can continue that. Two two strong Zoom chat uh, conferences, by the way, Bucks and and uh, Saints. I feel like they'd be pretty strong in that metric. Does anyone have yeah. ten seconds of thoughts on what the Carolina Panthers are doing? Since we literally they're, did not say their name in this t- in this eight minute chat, they're trying to win six games. They should be tanking, and they'll win six games. I know they should be tanking. I, I've been so confused by what they're. Some of their moves have been so smart, and then the, they have moves that reverse. I, I'll b- borrow this from uh, the great Robert Mays, but he said he's told me is like you know teams shouldn't tank. They should just always be in a position to go get their guy. They're going to have a high enough pick. They're gonna they're gonna have to pay for it dearly, but they could be in a position to maybe go get their guy if it's if it's the number two guy, right? Maze and I have talked a lot about tanking. I mean, I I think that it's really hard to actually do an NBA style tank in the in the NFL just for a lot of reasons. Number one, you can't do it for too long because of the way I mean careers are short. It's not if you hit on two absolute superstars, that's not the end of your rebuild. It's the beginning. Whereas in the NBA, it's it's different. It's the tanking discussion is is a different is a different episode entirely, um, but and also Maze is just upset because his team is unintentionally tanking. This is true. Um, all right, AFC South, uh, home of Bill O'Brien. We'll start with you, George. I'm fascinated by this this division as well, and I, I love Deshaun Watson so much. I am confident that the Texans are good because of him and despite the other things that have gone on. And I, I actually believe that Bill O'Brien, the coach, is is fine enough, right? Like he makes some smart decisions um, on fourth downs. I think that team generally plays 
like above what I would expect a team of those components to play. Um, but man, like I, I don't know what it means to lose one of the best receivers in the NFL. But I'm still confident they're good for not for nothing for nothing. For, uh, not not just for nothing. They took on like a real like they took on the David Johnson contract. Uh, that just gets swept under the rug. It's like oh, they got this like really good fantasy running back from a couple of years ago. What a great you know little addition. It's like no, that contract is awful. Like if you wanted to trade me that contract, I would say what first round pick do you have this year? Because you're sending that along with it to they me. Could, they could have Brock Osweiler that David Johnson deal, and I would have been surprised. Like this happens in in the NBA all the time, and the NFL hasn't gotten there yet. Um, and and I'm I, the Titans. I'm lower on because I believe that variance is going to come back and bite the Titans a little bit. And the investment in the run game, you know, obviously, I think it's it's all about the passing game. And what Ryan Tannehill did was execute in situations such as under pressure at a at a rate that I wouldn't expect him to do again. Took a ton of sacks most sacked quarterback in, in the NFL um, rate-wise. So the Texans, to me, and the Colts are the two firmly good teams in this division. And I, while I want to buy into the Colts because I love Frank Reich, this is a very new team together. And the Texans, at the very least, have Deshaun Watson, they have Will Fuller, they have Kenny Stills, who have been there for a little while. And if it comes down to it, and I think this division always does, it's going to come down to you know the last week of the season, and I've got to go Deshaun Watson or Phillip Rivers. I'm not sure I don't go Deshaun Watson. Ooh, Eric? Yeah, wow. That I agree with you that Bill O'Brien's not as bad of a coach as he is a GM. No, I, um, I agree with that. I, I think Watson, though, has a little bit of Matt Ryan in him in that he is – a great quarterback, Matt Ryan, probably should be in the Hall of Fame, but there are extended stretches of play where he's unable to overcome uh, some poor, you know, he he plays poorly at times. And we saw that with Watson, you know, for, in the playoff game, we saw it, you know, against Jacksonville, you saw a lot of times last season. And I just don't know if you start to chip away at supports around him, you know, their defense is probably still going to be terrible. Offensive line is meh. And now the receivers, they don't have a varied receiving core like they did a season ago. And when they lost Will Fuller in games last year, they became a worse offense. And, you know, Bill O'Brien decided instead of, you know, trying, you know, maybe replacing Fuller with somebody else, he cut out like the most important leg and bought three Will Fuller. So I don't know. It was sort of a weird approach there. For me, and I'm just gonna throw that out there. Jacksonville's tanking, so you know, or, or should be tanking. Sure are. Um, so, so they're they're, they're doing the a good job of it, though. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're out of the conversation, but I, I sort of like their approach. Not not the least of which is Jake Luton in the draft. But um, but when I look at the when I look at trying to handicap this division, for me, I have to go with the best coach quarterback combination and Frank Reich. The delta between Frank Reich and any of the coaches in this division is so large that I will deal with the possibility that Philip Rivers is is cooked. And and so I take that that coach quarterback combination. Your uh, your, your right best now. coach in the division was thinking of taking a running back in the first round though. Or, se- yes. or early Andy second. Andy Reid Andy Reid's uh, top 6 coach, coach in the history of the league in terms of wins and they took Clyde edwards helaire in the first right. round. Like, but but Philip Rivers ain't Patrick Mahomes. I, I get what you're saying. I love Frank Reich. Don't get me wrong. I love Frank Reich. All right. Here's my thought on this. We had Rich Rohrenberger on the pod a couple weeks ago. He played with Rivers, played with Brady. We talked a little bit about this. And he made a point that I've been thinking about about Rivers since, which is no one in football is 
less equipped to play in a bad situation than Philip Rivers because he will force things. He will be competitive if he's yeah. behind a bad offensive line. He will try to put the team on his back, and you see how that that ends, right? Now he goes from a bad situation to a good situation. And he goes behind a very good offensive line, a great coaching staff. I think that this can work in Indy. I don't think that any of these teams are 15-win juggernauts. I agree with you that Bill O'Brien is a really good coach. And it almost, when you see the disconnect between his ability to coach and create a team on the field and his front office work, you almost wish that he was a little that he was a little more open to not making decisions. I mean, like, why wouldn't you want... It's obvious that he wants his power, which is fine, but that's everyone's right to want power. But when you look at it, it almost seems like he'd be better just saying, why don't I just, you know, hire some some guy to be the GM and I'll worry about the coaching. I think one day that might happen for him and he'll be better served for it because I do think he's a good coach and I do think that he, he can scheme an offense up. Now, um, I'm going to pick the Colts in this division. I, I love Deshaun Watson. I have every faith in them to compete, every bit of faith in them to compete for a playoff spot. But I think this Colts team um, is just is just going to come together really well. Ultimately, if I have to if I have to pick one, it, the totality of everything, it's very hard for me to go against the Colts. My thought is there's not as big of a gap, and um, as I think people based on the, the Colts added a lot of things to their team this year. The the Texans did not like they they have like a net negative and I think that is overweighing people's views uh, uh, of it. I'll take the Colts though. But it's, I, I agree with to. you that Houston at plus three hundred on the on the market is the best value for the division. Yeah, uh, if you get three to one on Deshaun Watson, I'm just saying like if you have to pick the favorite, I think the favorite's the Colts. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I also want to give. I also want to say because Titans fans will get mad at us for not mentioning the fact they went yes. to this telegame last year. I like the Titans team building. I love um, some of the moves they've done. I, I, I talked about this in the podcast last week. The The first round pick, Isaiah Wilson, a little strange to me, just in the sense that you know, even Mel Kuyper said he doesn't even know if he, that Wilson if Wilson can beat out Dennis Kelly um, for right. a starting job in 2020. <laughs> he, From a he might 2020, be playing guard. Right, might be playing guard. From a 2020 perspective, um, I don't know if they've gotten that much better. If they had Clowney that can help. But yeah. when I, I, I love the Titans team building, I love the Titans organization, but I just don't see them on the same wavelength as, as the Colts right now. To me, it's, it's Ryan Tannehill. He, he can't be that good next year. Like I just can't be. All right, let's go. Cause this, this will be a quick conversation. AFC West. And then we'll do the NFC West to finish mm-hmm. up. Um, is there any dissent on, on the chiefs pick here? Okay, good. It's like it's like a wedding. If if anyone has any, <laughs> nope. forever hold your peace. If you uh, if you have nothing to say, um, who's the second best team in this division, yes. and is there a legitimately good team in this division outside of the Chiefs? I think Denver can be a 2008-19 Buffalo Bills type team. Oh, well, I think maybe not the defense, but I obviously Fangio is is very good there. But to me, they put so many weapons around Drew Locke that Drew Locke could have mm-hmm. a season where we don't like his fundamentals and they still have success. I, I wrote down basically the same thing. And my thought on that would be the Broncos and the Chargers were in were kind of flip-flopped in my mind. Like going into the draft, my thought was the Chargers are in a position where with the right moves, they can be legitimately competing 
with the Chiefs in games. Right now, they're not the favorite, obviously, but like legitimately competing. And they did the exact opposite. Like they took Justin Herbert and then they they traded up to get a linebacker. It was probably as far south relative to where they could have gone as as what they did. The Broncos should get a good backup quarterback because they have the talent around the quarterback to be good. And there are backup quarterbacks to be had. And I don't, you know, I don't know if Cam Newton is willing to do that. And I think teams are way more hesitant than they should be to bring in a guy to compete with their young quarterback. Like if you can't take a quarterback competition, how are you going to handle the fourth quarter of a playoff game? Like you don't, that, that shouldn't scare you. You should be willing to have these competitions. The Broncos are good enough that if they got decent quarterback play, they're a good team. And so they should go and try and get, get one. Hmm. Yeah. I, I didn't, I think that the Broncos draft and their moves this year, especially getting some of the low key uh, veteran moves that they were able to add. I, I think that's, it's been nice. I, I am with you on the quarterback competition thing. I had said a couple weeks ago that they should be contenders for a Cam Newton style backup yeah. who, if everything goes South, um, he's there and he can just get healthy and not worry about anything because now drew lock is, you know, he's not, he's not a complete disaster. Um, in fact, he's quite good. And the blowback I got from Broncos fans was really strange. I'm sure you you guys have gotten the same thing because it was pretty unanimous. They're pretty sold on drew lock being like the guy. And I thought that drew lock was, and I, maybe that's just an every fan base thing. I think drew lock was good last year. And I think that I'm not ruling him out to be the guy, but I didn't see anything last year where I was just like, let's just let's just not have any competition forever. Let's let's lock this in because you know he he's going to be the quarterback for the next ten years. That that remains a, a possibility because he showed some promise last year. But where are you guys on Drew Locke for not only twenty twenty but you know the rest of that rookie contract? I mean, I think he was a good value as a second round pick, um, but I I wasn't high on him. Uh, got coming out uh, as a first round you know, sort of prospect, you know, if you look at yards per play, and, and I know why there was a situation in a lot of their games and stuff, but if you look at yards per play, you look at sort of any level metric, um, you know, that was those were team wins by Denver. And so going four and one was cool. And I, you know, anything that can give a fan base hope, I'm all for. Uh, but I need, I need to see, I need to see so much more there. And, you know, what his, his one good characteristic at Missouri was that he got better. Every single year, he he did improve every single year. But even then, like when you look at his statistics against Power Five teams, last season most of his wins were against bad teams. Uh, you know, at the end of the season, like I just I, I the jury is still out, and I'm a hundred percent with you that uh, you know bringing in somebody like Dalton or Cam, uh, you know, might really help uh, that team. You know, sort of. I, I think their floor is pretty low, but their ceilings, you know, uh, ASC wild card. And, and if you want to increase that floor a little bit, uh, the quarterback position is a place to look. Fangio came from Chicago. Like this, he should be prepared for this situation. Like, do not anoint a guy too early, and you can have confidence in a guy to be good, and also say. Hey, there's going to be competition. Like uh, to me, that's sports in a sense. Um, he had more turnover-worthy plays, so you know passes that should be intercepted or really bad fumbles, than he did big-time throws, which are you know you think at or past the sticks on the money, that type of thing. Um, it, you know that that doesn't happen for many good quarterbacks. So the point being is, look, he had what less than 200 dropbacks. I'm not going to say that he's going to be a guy that's going to make more turnovers than than big plays. But I'm also not going to go the other way around. Like, I just don't have enough evidence there. So you would be naive to anoint a guy this early. That 
that's just what fan bases want to do. But smart organizations should understand that you never quite know unless you have Mahomes, right? You never quite know. And you got to prepare for those other things. It reminds me, I had a talk with Thomas Dimitrov last year about paying Matt Ryan. And we talked a little bit about this idea that is, is popular on the internet and, and elsewhere about just whether or not you should ever get into a situation where you trade out quarterbacks every four and a half years. And he said, this guy's <laughs> yeah. expensive. Let's get rid of him." And, and Dimitrov's point, he obviously paid Matt Ryan. And I, I think that Matt Ryan is a very good quarterback, but his point was you should see the stress in buildings when there's no quarterback and you should see a GM and a coach without a quarterback and how desperate they are to find one. And once you have one, you, you never want to feel that way again. Right. And I would say that's part of the reason with fan bases that they're so eager to embrace a guy as the yeah. guy because you don't want to be the fan base saying, what are we going to do a quarterback? It is a stressful experience. Um, it is not something you want to go through. And so when you see any glimmer of hope, and the Broncos saw that with Drew Locke, uh, that's that's where you immediately default to. Again, I think Drew Locke was good last year. I agree with Eric. He's values a second-round pick. He's He's going to get better. Um, but I'm not ready to anoint anything in Denver right now. It, it's like like breaking up in a relationship is hard. The only difference here is that it's not like disdained upon to, to put two people in competition. <laughs> right, exactly. It's a different world. Like it's the, it's it's different the same world. level you can bring of difficulty. In a Cam Newton, yeah. You can bring in an Andy Dalton. If like, I never want to be by myself again. I'm going to hold on for dear life. Like, but I, you know. Um, I feel like that happens in, in social dynamics all the time, but in the NFL, you're allowed to do it. You're allowed to take a flyer on Cam Newton or Andy Dalton in this league. All right, NFC West, a very yes. strange division with a lot of moving parts. Um, we will start with you, Eric. Well, I think the team that's gotten, the be that gotten better the most is Arizona. Um, yeah. Isaiah Simmons... Uh, obviously Hopkins, uh, you know, in last season, you know, they got Kenyon Drake in the middle of the, the, the season. And then, you know, Josh Jones is a very good value in the third round. Uh, they increased their yards per play by like a yard and a half last year. I, it was, it was astronomical how far they had to go, but it they, they were very respectable. They were, you know, competitive with the Rams, competitive with the 49ers, uh, and they beat the Seahawks in week 16. Like th there's a lot there, there. And I'm, I'm. I have a similar opinion of them than George does the Lions in the NFC North. So that's just a team. I don't think they'll, they should be the favor. They'll win. But I think that they've come a long way. Uh, the Rams and the Seahawks, I think, have only gotten worse. Uh, you know, the Seahawks already just a sort of a team. It just that was doesn't more, matter with the Seahawks. It just yeah, it nothing it, matters. Nothing was, matters. It, there's no, there's no consequences. Ele ele 11 wins. 11 wins. And we love our, our Ringer uh, podcast host, Pete Carroll, here on the Ringer NFL show. But we, we, that would have been, we all love Pete Carroll and we can pencil him in for 11 wins despite uh, any and all roster moves. There are no consequences to what this, the Seahawks have done. Uh, you know, Russell Wilson, you know, basically has died for all their sins apparently. So, uh, you know, but I, I think it, ha it has to be the San Francisco 49ers as the favorite despite uh, them going on draft night, pissing off George by trading back to give him momentary hope and then taking a defensive lineman. Yeah. But the nice thing for the Niners is that while right their moves weren't optimal, they weren't a disaster. And I do, I do think the Rams have kind of had a disastrous couple of off seasons slash years. And while the consequences will never like 
Russell Wilson is pretty much bulletproof, right? The, I would not say the same about Jared Goff. So the way that I would see the big change, the big flip-flop in this division would be the Cardinals not being the winner, but putting themselves above the Rams and all of a sudden being what the Rams were a few years ago, just like the Niners were what the Rams were a few years ago and now seem to have sustained success um, and become a good team. And that would make this three good teams for sure with the Rams a pretty darn good, not good team. And that's why this is the best division, I think, in the NFL. From the Niners' perspective, though, they, I think they're closer to not being good than a lot of people want to want to admit. Jimmy G, in the first half of the season without Emmanuel Sanders, ranked 16th in PFF grade. Now remember, they played nobody in those games. They were beating the living hell out of teams. When he got Emmanuel Sanders, played some harder teams, he was 8th in PFF grade. So it, to me, it comes down to whether that scheme and the receivers in that scheme are able to execute. And if so, then Jimmy G can be a top 10, can play like a top 10 quarterback and they can be a really efficient passing offense. But if not, passing offense is where games are won, despite how beautiful that run game is. And that, that offense could go uh, to average pretty quickly, even though I love Kyle Shanahan. Um, so I think, it, I think it's still going to be a really tough division. I mean, this, this division was close last year. Like it was close, no matter how dominant the Niners looked in the playoffs. Let me ask you a question. Uh, this is for both of you. And if you don't have an answer, it's fine. If you were to rank the teams you think will have the most wins over the next decade, where would the Niners be? Because I think that, because this is from a, a great team question. Ma- this is a team management question for me. Because when I look at them trading to Forrest Buckner and getting the 13th overall pick for it, I started to think that they're a sustainable team where almost what we talked about with the Wenger thing, they're, they're acting like they're running for 100 years. They know how to retool on the fly. They know what their scheme is. They obviously have a very good offensive mind. Um, obviously, the Staley thing hurts a little bit, but obviously they, they, they replaced him um, with, with a equal talent, I guess you could say, in Trent Williams. He's 31 years old. And I just think that when I look at some of the moves they've made, I'd put them higher on that list. Um than maybe most people. I think that we would all choose the Chiefs to be number one just because of of how good Mahomes is. I think the Ravens are up there with a mixture of not only Lamar, but just the, the young talent they have and the GM they have. But I think the Niners are in that mix. I very much think so. I think of them very similarly as I think of the Alex Smith Chiefs, where you have one of the better coaches in the NFL. You have a quarterback that's good enough to... I mean, the Chiefs won two-thirds of their games with Alex Smith. Uh, and I think Jimmy G's even more capable. Even I think he has a little bit more to him sometimes than Alex Smith does. And as, as, you, as you said, the retooling <laughs> it makes a lot of sense, though. I mean, it, there and the Chiefs were, you know, I, I, I credit Alex Smith for being good enough for the Chiefs to hit their head, you know, basically on the you know on the ceiling and sort of see exactly where that is. And I think the Niners are sort of in that in that sort of middle point where they're, they're going to let Jimmy G have a few more swings of the bat um, and then go ahead and take a quarterback. And I only think, I think the only thing that can derail them from being like you said, like third, probably in this list is if they decide to move on from Jimmy G and the quarterback that they select is not worthy of it. Um, But, but yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, there's, there's a ton to like there. I think George's concern about the receivers is valid. Um, I have a little bit of concern about their secondary, especially with age with Sherman and things like that. But, uh, you know, they, 
aside from signing running backs to huge deals that aren't even their best running back, I, I think they make decent decisions. Yeah, I mean that's what, and that's that was kind of my point, right? Like, so I didn't. I thought they could have made more of the draft. That being said, they didn't take a running back in the first round. You know, like they gained ground in the first round relative to a lot of teams, and they traded out DeForest Buckner, who they were going to have to pay for a much cheaper option, who is going to probably be a great pass rusher. I mean, I love Javon Kinlaw. Um, the thing with Kyle Shanahan is that he is a true innovator, and I don't know how many of those guys there are in the league on the offensive side of the ball, like truly are going to create novel things. I think Andy Reid is certainly one of them. Um, and I, I think after him, it's probably Shanahan. So I'm with you. I just think that they can, you can be a top three team in wins over the next decade and also have a couple of seasons where you're not dominant, right? And that I think everyone expects them to be dominant this year. I just, it's so hard to return to that dominance. They had so much, um, you know, great play on the defense side of the ball. That is something that's just not as sustainable mathematically. Um, and then the receiving core is a question too. John Lynch, though, he will he will pull the trigger. Like, I think there are GMs that are not as willing to make moves. And if they need to move on from Jimmy G, I could see some GMs struggling with that. That won't be John Lynch. So where are we are we all picking the Niners? Yes. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think so. And I think the gap is relatively big. Who's the second best team team uh, at the end of the year? In in this division? Yeah. Seahawks. Nothing matters. The Seahawks. Yeah, the Seahawks. Okay. I mean, That's a great way to put it. Such a good quarterback. I still home, believe in their Pete home field Carroll. advantage is not trivial at like there are there are some built in advantages well, for the Seahawks. I would not I let's let's be careful on home field advantage. Yeah, that's in, true. In twenty twenty. Right. And that, it's true. it's a legitimate thing. I mean, it's a legitimate thing. When I was saying yeah. You know, I wasn't talking up. I didn't talk up the Chargers enough because we got sidetracked by the Broncos hype. But one of the things I, th- I, I I don't mean this in a jokey way, but like a lot of teams with home field advantage are going to lose it. And the Chargers are not like the Chargers did, <laughs> yeah, yeah. played in a soccer stadium and and yep. they were going to move into a stadium that was had. I think they had sold 28,000 tickets as of last year. That's something you don't have to worry about. I actually think the Chargers um, have a have good roster talent. And you think about a team like the Broncos, who have a very loud crowd. I, you think about the Seahawks, who have a very, very loud crowd. That that is probably not going to be the case this year because of of what we're going through. Well, and if there isn't travel too, I mean that in the worst of worst cases, it like a team like Kansas City, which is it plays in the AFC West, but play, but it, their home stadiums in you know Central Time Zone, they never get the you know the other teams in their division have to play at 10 a.m. you know against them. And that's been an advantage for them forever. Uh, and it might be something if they if they go a neutral site sort of uh, you know construct, they'll lose as well. Yeah, because there might be states, right? Like California, I know um, my beloved state of California, they have said there's a chance they, they outlaw that in their state. It could be a state-to-state thing. That, that's another interesting wrinkle in it as well, right? Like how much does the governor care about the sports team? <laughs> right. No, really. I mean, really. I mean, <laughs> like, you even look at, you look at European soccer right now, and France and the Netherlands—they're just out. They canceled the season, um, and other countries that maybe have a a, a league with uh, that where I, I don't even want to say it means more, but it, where the bigger leagues have have not even really considered canceling the season, right? And so you think a little bit—you know—the EPL is trying very hard to get up and running in June, and you think about. 
how the NFL is going to deal with this over the next couple of months. And I think that there are some states where they're just going to say there's not going to be sports at all, even with no crowds in our in our state. And there's some states that are not. I mean, there's a reason that the UFC is going to be in Florida next week. There's a reason that NASCAR is starting up in a couple of weeks in South Carolina. Um, I think that there are states where they're going to be able to have this. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting to see where that is. I think that, you know, I, I was I was a little bit surprised that Nevada said no fights behind closed doors um, a couple weeks ago. And that's one of the reasons that the UFC thing got sidetracked. They were actually going to have it. They were going to have the UFC fight in a, on, in a casino in California until Governor Newsom called Disney and said, please don't do this. And so it really is going to be for as much as, 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 um, as touchy subject as this is, it really is going to come down to politics where, where certain games are played this year. Yeah. For, and that will, and the NFL stri- you know, generally will strive for fairness usually. And you got to think that if it's, if it's unfair for one or two teams, they're going to try to make it at least more fair for the rest, you know, uh, you know, level the playing field, which is, you know, uh, going to be a logistical challenge. I think they'll help them out. But, but I mean, if you have, and I think about California uniquely because California has enough other things where sacrificing a chance of getting back together to have these football games is not worth it for them relative to some other states. If all the other states are saying, yeah, let's let's bring football back under these conditions, the NFL will help the Chargers find a new stadium, but they're not forcing every team to play at a neutral site. Well, I I don't know the answer. If the, if the NBA's Disney thing works and they've got them all in hotels and they, they, they block them off from the world and they all play at the wide world of sports in that gym there and they CGI the crowd in or put in crowd reactions <laughs> via um, webcam or whatever um, laptop camera. If that can happen, then maybe the NFL thinks, okay, we could do this in Orlando or some other place with a million fields. I mean, there, I I think that that might, if that ends up working with the NBA or hockey or whomever, I think that that becomes a feasible possibility for the NFL. I think travel is going to be so hard. You're dead on. I, maybe they could do uh, what worked so well during the draft, which was put fans behind Rod, Roger Goodell. And he talks to so, them. And he like looks at them, and they clearly like can't see him. Yeah, I also, and he's like, come on. Yeah, yeah I, I also have, like a, I think maybe it, there was some tape delay there. Who knows? Um, you never yeah, know. It, uh, <laughs> I, I think the draft, the draft showed that, that outside-the-box ideas can work. What, what yes. this all looks like, I think it's so hard to predict anything because we don't know where anything's going to be in a month. So it's all I know is it's going to be different. There's going to be no mini camps, it's going to be rookie mini camps, the ability to find rookie talent, uh, in after the draft with, you know, with undrafted free agents is going to be a little bit different. So it's going to be wild. It's going to be, it's going to change the sport quite frankly in 2020. And that's why, um, this is also difficult, but at least we know after this podcast, who is good. I appreciate you guys coming <laughs> on. Hey, Kev, thanks for having us, man. This was a blast. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thanks, awesome. man. Thanks so much guys.